The following episode may contain inappropriate material. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another wonderful, fabulous, and dare I say lovely episode of Matt Talk. I am joined today by the lovely and beautiful John Orlando. And the two of us got to introduce (laughs) Nancy Stafford. Who is Nancy Stafford, you may ask? Why she played Michelle Thomas on that little show that we all enjoy called Matlock. Can I interject for a moment? I would like to say thank you for the compliments that I'm lovely, um, I think. Uh (laughs) <laughs> but it was truly delightful to talk to Nancy Stafford and uh, Jason. We got a lot of people we got to thank. Yeah, and first off, I want to say the Matt Locke TV show fan club and the Matt Locke 35th anniversary fan club that we're a part of. You guys really came out to help us with this interview, supplying your questions. Although we didn't get to all of them, we got to a lot of them, and we plan on doing this more as we get more cast members on the show because we want you guys to be able to participate with us on what we're doing and what's going on because you guys are fans just like we are. Even though you're not sitting in front of the two microphones, it doesn't matter. You're still... In John and I's world, you're still part of this podcast, and we want to get as many voices heard as possible when we do these interviews. So, thank you. All right, Jason, shall I go first? Do you go first with the list of names? We divided them up a little bit here. I will go first. Okay, go right ahead. I'm going to start with my man, Curtis Wayne Lanchios. And I'm sorry if I butcher any of these names. Uh, It's it's done with love, I promise. Uh, Kwong Malbray, Carol Smothers, Ben White. Kelly Kleckner Napier. Ben White, have you ever thought about changing your last name to Matlock? Just an honest question. <laughs> Brian Bumgardner, Agnes Duffner, Christelle Mills, Elizabeth McCoy, Robin S. Lippy, Paul Manning, Gio Hal, Michelle Benson Northern, Dan Esposito. Let me see what I got on here. Make sure I got everybody. Uh, Val Morris, Paul Manning. Don Hole and Jeremy Glass. Thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts. We appreciate you guys so much. And I cannot wait to hear your guys' thoughts on our interview. But that's not all the fans we have. John, tell us about the rest. That's right. Uh, Brian Bumgarner checks in a second time in the anniversary fan group. So thanks. Uh, Kenneth Edward Lindsay, uh, Trisha Stubbs, Vicki Small, Eve Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Flannery, I think it's Flannery, I believe, um, Sadie Saunders Keener, uh, again, our man Curtis Landclose, I believe, um, Patricia Hunley, uh, let's see, I'm scrolling down, let's see, Wilbur Archduke Ferdinand, let me just tell you, that's a hell of a name, let's just be honest there, uh, Mark Kowalski, uh, Jane Parks McKay, uh, let's see, we got a few more here, as I'm scrolling down, I got the long list. How did this happen? Anyways, um, <laughs> I just talk faster. You just that's talk faster. I, yeah, that's probably it. You're absolutely correct on that. I think we got everybody. Uh, we do. And, and I will say the exact same thing that Jason said. Thank you so very much uh, for participating, sending in your questions, your comments. It, it was an awesome experience to talk to uh, Nancy Stafford. And uh, as we mentioned on our last episode, uh, we thought about releasing this in January, but we decided we should end the year with a, with a bang, so to speak. And so we're excited to bring it to you. Jason, real quickly, do you have any highlights? If you could pick one highlight from our conversation uh, with Nancy, can, can you share that? Oh, man, I there's a lot of fun moments. And I the one highlight I really have, the thing that really sticks out in my mind is finding out that Keen Holiday is not actually Keen Holiday, but Kenny Holiday. You know, he, he got told that af, off air, but then here's the funny part. Other people were still calling Keen. Like, if you remember, I mean, you go back and listen to our interview with Linda Pearl, I believe she refers to him as Keen. So it's it's weird. That's weird. We need somebody to give us the exact pronunciation. Folks, 
in the Facebook groups, let us know what you think it is. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe this would be a good time to let everybody know where they can get in touch with us, right, Jason? But, but if you're going to let us know, if you're going to let us know, spell Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y. We will know what you mean. <laughs> That's the only way to like differentiate the way that you would pronounce it. Because if we all write Keen in the, or K-E-N-E, then we're all going to assume it's <laughs> We're all going to be still one. screwed. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> where, can folks get, where can folks get in touch with us? You guys can email us anytime at B-E-N-M-A-T-T-A-L-K at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Facebook at Matt Talk Podcast or even on Twitter at Matt Talk underscore podcast. Uh, Jason, I'm going to say my personal highlight, and I'm just going to give a little teaser for it, uh, when Nancy shares that story about Andy Griffith's summation speeches about being a one-take Jake. That was amazing to me. So, Jason, let's not waste any time. Let's get right on into it, shall we? Sure. All right, you're going to hear a quick gavel bang, and on the other side of that gavel bang, you'll hear our conversation with Nancy Stafford. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Lockers and Matt Talkers alike, it's John, I'm with Jason, and we are so excited to bring you this episode of Matt Talk. Joining us is the the powerhouse behind, is the the lady behind, (laughs) the great, great Michelle Thomas. Nancy Stafford, how are you this afternoon? Well, I love that intro. Thank you for finally recognizing the power of Michelle. So good to see you guys. Wonderful to be with you, John and Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you joined us. And I love how the cast of Matlock has embraced our show. Because we've had we've had Lori Latine on. We've had on um, Linda Pearl. And now we get to talk to you. And this is super exciting. Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you so much. We thank you for taking some time out of your uh, your hectic schedule to sit and chat with us as well. We do really, really appreciate it. Let's start off with maybe a, a, a quick question about your background. Um, how did you get started in acting? Very much by accident. Um, <laughs> it's my second career. Um, I was a journalism grad from the University of Florida, and my first career was in journalism and PR. And it was, it happened to be during the Screen Actors Guild strike of 1981 in Miami, Florida, where none of the real professionals could work. And I got a phone call from an agent one day, frantic, desperate. Do you think you could maybe come down? I'm desperate. I, I, need, I need your help. And I said, well, thanks for thinking of me if you're so desperate. And um, I had been Miss Florida the year before in Miss America. So that's how she even made the connection to call. And she said, would you just come down and audition for some commercials? We have these big ad agencies in New York who come down and cast these commercials and we don't have anybody to put on tape. So that's how it started. I went down as a lark in between my PR jobs and um, I auditioned for five commercials in one week and I got them all and thought that's always how it worked. That just, you audition, that just means you get it. And um, that's how it started with commercials and then some modeling and then moved to New York and studied acting to see if I could do this thing. And um, from there, it went on to a daytime series and then came out to California. How was the transition going from Florida to New York and then out to California? I, you know, I imagine different types of cities that you were in that certainly had its own personalities to it did you did you find it to be difficult to move from one place to another or was it pretty easy for you no you're right you're very right john um it was very hard i was youngish (laughs) i was not that young when i when i um got to new york i i had grown up in florida so it was very familiar to me and cozy and comfortable um new york was a whole nother ball game and i went there alone i mean i was completely a fish out of water i didn't have any connections I purposely didn't tell anyone I was coming because I knew I would be distracted if I started working because I had a lot of clients there. So I just came and entered into school eight hours a day and was just studying at Stella Adler Conservatory. But I was very lonely. Um, It was very hard. Finally, when I got a phone call from Eileen Ford from Ford Modeling Agency back in the day, And she said, who are you? I don't even know who you are, but I got your number. You better get in here. I got people calling me looking for you. And when I went to meet her, she looked me up and down and so sweetly and kindly said, oh, man, you're really old, but you're going to make me a lot of money. (laughs) This was the modeling agency. So she said, I'll sign you. I was 24. I was really old. 
So then I started working a lot and got, got busier and that helped. And by the time I left New York, which was about three years later, I loved it. And I didn't, then, then LA was trepidatious for me. I didn't really know anybody there. Uh, I was flown out to screen test for a number of um, pilots for TV shows. I went to network a couple times, but I didn't get anything. But everyone kept telling me, but you're going to network. That's good. And I went, oh, okay, that's good. So um, there seemed to be enough interest and my soap had, had been canceled. So um, I came out to LA again, knowing nobody. So in each, each town does have its own personality and challenges. And, but I've been here now for 30 some odd years and this feels like home to me. That's awesome. So you, your first big role was on St. Elsewhere and you worked with some juggernauts or so juggernauts. Now, <laughs> Howie Mandel, Ed Bagley Jr., David Morris, William Daniels, Denzel Washington. Like, yeah. What was that experience yeah. like? Well, we didn't cross paths that often in our scenes, but he was a powerhouse. He was, well, they're all were. I mean, these are amazing characters and talents. Um, but he always had, you always knew he was destined for something huge. And he was class, he's just like he is now. He was classy, he was smart, he knew what he was doing, he knew where he wanted to go. And it was amazing. Howie was just what you'd expect. Laugh a minute. Stephen Firth was the same thing. He was hysterical. Um, and we cannot forget, of course, my love interest on the show, the handsome doctor, surgeon, Mark Harmon, who was, you know, for three years, we were a love interest on the show together. So that that was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was fun going to work every day. <laughs> I had never sat down and looked at the cast of St. Elsewhere. It's it's pretty impressive. It is. And you know what, guys? I felt completely, I was so honored and humbled to be on that show. I was a brand newbie. I mean, I was my first primetime anything. I had only done a soap in New York and commercials. And here I audition and get this Emmy-winning show with this cast of, you know, Tony winners and Emmy winners and amazing people. I felt completely out of my depth, but they were all so kind and very generous to me. And um, I will forever be grateful to um, Bruce Paltrow and Mark and John Tinker and all the others that were affiliated with that show for seeing something in me and letting me come play with them. I just was going to make a quick comment back when you were talking about your run in with Ms. Ford, 24 years old. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was ancient. Oh, I was ancient. <laughs> that that blew well, me away. Nancy, well, that blew know, me away. But that is the age that her girls were generally retiring. She let me know that. <laughs> but she was going to take a big chance on me, for which I was grateful. <laughs> so well, what's it like? You go into Matlock and you play um, Karen Nelson on The Seduction. Uh, and then yep. you eventually become a regular. But what is that first experience like going in as a special guest? I love being a guest star. It's nerve wracking because you're walking into a family that already has the dynamic in place and everybody knows who they are. And there's a tone on every show that is set always by the lead actor and the production. And I've done a lot of guest starring. Um, so I'm very cognizant of being a good guest star in the sense of not only just preparing and knowing what I'm doing, but also feeling the room, intuiting how to behave, what's, what's, what's cool, what's not. A lot of guest stars get very nervous and they, you know, breeze into the makeup trailer when the lights are low and the music is soft and like, that's your first cue. The people in the trailer like it quiet in the morning at 5 a.m., but a lot of guest stars will burst in out of nerves. You know, they'll just go, hey, how's it going? Yeah, and you're like, oh, my goodness, can I take you aside and save you from, you know, getting a crook on your neck and being sent home? But um, again, it was such a wonderful, welcoming environment on Matlock. And Andy is amazing and was that first meeting and first time. I was not a nice person on that show. Really? I don't um, believe that. You know, I, as you, <laughs> oh, well, I thought I was nice. However, my behavior was a little questionable. Um, 
your listeners may not remember the seduction as well as I do, or you guys know. Um, I played a a high class call girl. That's kind oh, of a nice yeah, way yeah. to put it. And I, but I perjured myself on the witness stand and framed somebody for murder. So what's the big deal, <laughs> you know? And um, but I'm of course found out at the end. And um, so when that show ended, I enjoyed it so much, had a great time with everyone, but then went off to go do whatever I was going to do next, which happened to be another TV series for Disney and ABC called Sidekicks. And it was a sweet little half hour, Friday night, half hour family show. I loved it, wished it could have gone forever, but it didn't. It lasted a year because they put us on at a terrible time slot. But um, nine o'clock on a Friday night for a sweet little family show didn't work. So we got canned after a year and just so happened that that was the time that our mutual friend, Linda, who I adore, um, had left the show and they were now looking for Andy's new sidekick to be his new law partner. And um, during the time, actually, I was already shooting sidekicks. And what's interesting is that I only had one week off that entire season. We shot what, 21 episodes? One week. I didn't happen to be in the show. One week. And that was the week my agent called and said, you've been offered a guest starring role on this show called Matlock. It's a new show called Matlock. And I said, what? I've never been offered anything without auditioning. Are you sure it was an offer? Straight offer? Yeah, it's an offer. So if I hadn't had one week off and gotten that one episode (laughs) as a guest star, I would not have been on their radar a year later when my show got canceled and there was an opening to be his co-star. So I am ever grateful and I just love, love how things work out. We're going to get to season two. John and I were going through, we're going through each episode in order on the show and reviewing them. And when we got to season two, I was like, all right, so we're switching up the assistant and Mm. um, because John and I really liked the Keen and Matlock element in season one. And we felt mm-hmm. like some of the chemistry with him and Linda was just a little off. It just something felt missing. And then we watched season two, episode one, and I it said it in the review. I said, this is what the show's been missing. Because something mm-hmm. about the two of you clicked. I don't know if it's because you weren't his daughter on the show, but just something that, with the yeah. two of you worked really, really well. Thank you. You know, honestly, I felt the same way. I loved working with him, and it was easy, and we had an instant rapport. But it very well could, as you say, could have been the freedom of not being a daughter, you know, maybe because honestly, you know what? So many people through the years have thought I was his daughter. They said, oh, you're his daughter. I go, no, I was actually not his daughter. The first one was his daughter and the one after me was his daughter, but I was not his daughter. And they said, but you seemed more like his daughter. And that's how I felt, too, so much of the time on the show. I just, I think we did have a great chemistry. No explaining it except that Andy was wonderful and kind and we just genuinely loved each other. Because we, uh, like I said, during season one, we would always miss Keen when he wasn't in the episodes. And, you know, for personal reasons, Keen wasn't in a lot of season two, at least not that we've watched so far. But we don't miss him like we did in the first season because you guys are so good together. Thank you so much. Well, he added so much. And oh. I don't remember if he, I don't remember when Clarence came aboard. Was it season three? Uh, season yeah. three or is did... when Keen leaves. Right. Yeah. And it's towards the tail end, I believe, of season three is when there's a switch that's made between um, Keen and Clarence. Keen and Clarence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved both of them. and But they had a very different dynamic, too. I mean, as you're getting more familiar with the season three shows, you'll see a very different um, dynamic with Clarence, who was charming and funny and kind of um, adorable sort of thing. Whereas Kenny really was more, um, he was funny as all get out, but he was tougher. And it was, so there was a very different personality, which, and both of them served the show, I think, very, very well. Agreed. So did you have any inspiration for crafting the character of Michelle Thomas? Did you pull from, you know, previous experience on other shows or uh, maybe actresses that you emulated? Like, how did you find the character? How did you define that character, excuse me, of Michelle Thomas? 
Well, the first thing I did was call my brother, who's an attorney. (laughs) I just said, okay, walk me through this. He was not a a litigator, but, uh, or a defense attorney, but um, it was extremely helpful. I actually then also went to see some trials and just sort of sat in the, in the gallery and watched what was going on. But I also loved, I took frankly a lot of, of the inspiration from Andy himself. I only got to, I think I only actually um, got to present a case. It's the only time I think I actually had my solo case might've been one show called The Witness. I may have had another time or two where I may have presented a little bit, but that was really my show. But I really kind of stole some of Andy's wily ways, crazy like a fox kind of ways. But I also had watched, you know, L.A. Law was running and it was some of these kind of a very different tone than Matlock. So I felt like I could get away with a lot more folksy kind of crazy like a fox. How can I trip somebody up on the witness stand and, and that kind of thing? So can I um, can I just tell you, your viewers, your listeners, one thing they may just absolutely flip over because as you know, Andy makes everything look easy. I mean, he's a guy who was so good at what he did. He made it look so easy, effortless. It was, but every bit of it was very orchestrated and he knew exactly what he was doing. But in the courtroom, we shot, I think a a typical episode was about eight days. It takes eight days to shoot the show. Three of which or sometimes three and a half, were in the courtroom in that big climactic scene at the end of the show is the big courtroom scene where it's all revealed. We were in court for at least three days. Andy would, at the very end, um, where he did his big summation speech, where he you know comes in and he addresses the, the jury and the judge and the defendant and the, prosec- the, the, uh, ju- the gallery and the prosecution table, he's dead center right in the middle of the room and he presents his entire summation speech. Well, he did that 99.9% of the time in one take. It was so, it was so crazy that he would just start and at least the master, they'd get the master shot first, which is the big shot that you see everything in the whole room. And he would start and he would just go for it and he knew it so well and was so interesting and so captivating and I don't know how long those scenes ran on camera but I bet you they were seven minutes of him just talking and um, at the end invariably what would happen is he'd get a standing ovation they'd say cut and crew stands up and claps (laughs) everybody in the whole room is clapping there were people that would come down from the offices from the big black tower at Universal Studios. I mean, it was he, he was amazing to watch. Well, let's go to a couple of questions that we received from some folks here. I've got um, one right here, John. You got one? Go ahead. Go ahead. Because we're kind of here. So uh, Paul Manning and Val Morris asked very similar questions. So I'm just going to read them back to back. Paul Manning asked, uh, you first played a guest star on a couple of episodes and then the following season became Michelle. Were you surprised that you were asked back as a regular? And then the other one is, uh, did you enjoy being a CD character as a guest or as wholesome Michelle as a regular? From a character <laughs> standpoint. I loved them both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I loved being the CD character because, uh, but I'm glad it was a guest star. I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have enjoyed that for, for five seasons. Um and the reason I liked it was I was very hesitant to take the show. Here's this really despicable one who is like, you know, seducing Andy Griffith, um, <laughs> perjuring herself on the, I mean, that's, that's like, really? And um, behaving so badly. And, and that, but then I realized, you know what? I can approach this completely differently. And instead of just glamorizing her seductiveness, I can show her brokenness. That's what I decided to do. And I think that was part of what struck them about, wow, maybe there's something more to her than just some sexy thing that is a bad guy, a one note bad guy. 
so I enjoyed both very much, but I absolutely loved Michelle. And I loved finding her nuances and different things through those five seasons. The fact that she could never get a man. I mean, poor Michelle. That was Andy's thing. He finally kept, they kept bringing me love interests that were horrible. And I, you know, it just never worked out. And then Andy finally started end up saying in the, in the script, I think he added it, but he's like, poor Michelle, she just can't get a man. So, but I did love that woman. So, yeah. That's and not I fair. The- like, Linda Pearl had a new one every episode and they couldn't I give know. you. No, no. <laughs> They, I, I don't know if it was me. I don't know what it was, but it never worked out for poor Michelle. <laughs> All right, let's. Did uh, I miss? Did I miss one of those other questions? Uh, no, no, you, you nailed you got it. Them both, yeah. Oh, oh go ahead, I will go ahead. say one other quick, quick thing, John, before you sure. pop in. The, the, the question about was it hard to was it weird going from a bad guy to the to the you know wholesome michelle so that is a question i actually asked our producers the first day i'm on on set and very nicely but i said you know aren't aren't your viewers gonna like wonder wait a minute weren't you here like uh, last season and weren't you in prison and (laughs) and they both this sadly it kind of shows you what producers think of their audience but they all wave their hand away and say, no, 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 nobody will ever notice. Well, that is probably my number one question <laughs> through the years has been, wait a minute, <laughs> weren't you that seductress that, you know, purged herself? So I just explained it that while she was in prison, she went to law school. <laughs> she funny. got actually, her degree. <laughs> actually, I have a follow-up. Um, so you, your first episode on the show was in London. How does London mm-hmm. know to call Ben Matlock in Atlanta, Georgia? I, I, that's know, something that's a- <laughs> Oh, I remember. That's a very good question. But I think I remember that the person who either was our victim who died or somebody, somebody was a friend of Andy's from the States. And I think it was his son who was being charged with the murder, which I guess is how he got involved. But how I got involved, that's what I really don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, was I with the big law firm? That was Yes. You were you were the uh, the attorney for one of the big wigs that was uh, a suspect for a while. So oh, we we love to joke about it that Ben Matlock's so darn good at his job, people from other countries will call him. You know, so <laughs> that's right. You know, oh man, if there'd been one final like tenth season, wouldn't it have been fun if every episode he's in another country? <laughs> yes, that would have been funny. From everything from like Belize and Nice, France to to you know Kenya, he could yeah. have gone global. They, I, I wish they had done the movie of the week thing after the show ended, like they did with you know, uh, Murder She Wrote yeah. forever. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I thought it was would have been perfect to do that. It would have just been three, and they could have continued the wheel. Remember, they did that wheel for a while of, of, um, of Columbo and yes. was it murder? She wrote or diagnosis. And, and then us, we could have been on the wheel where we only had to do like three episodes, a, three movies a year mm-hmm. or four, but uh, that they didn't ask me. Well, here's another question <laughs> from, uh, from one of our listeners, Sadie Saunders Keener has asked, what do you think about how popular the show still is? And does it register with you just how many people love this show? Oh, thank you, Sadie. Um, it does register with me, and I love being reminded of it. Thank you. Um, I think that the reason it is still beloved, well, first of all, it has Andy Griffith in it, who is an American icon and you know, will forever be Andy of Mayberry and Ben Matlock in our hearts. So it's got that huge, wonderful American icon. But also, I think it harkens back to a gentler time when it was where the bad guys got caught. Ben was adamant about being only representing people that he knew and believed were innocent. I don't remember the episode title, but there was one show that he found out partway through that um, the guy was that our defendant was really actually guilty. 
and he had taken it on and he was successfully, you know, um, prosecuting or, or um, defending the man in trial. And he found out mid trial that the guy was actually the murderer. And he chose to, I don't remember if he actually lost purposely or if he somehow allowed evidence to be found by the prosecutors because he did not want this guy to walk, to walk. And I mean, that's, that kind of integrity is just not seen that much anymore. So I think there's that. I think there's the comfort of a, of a formula show like we were. It was a distinct formula, just like, mm-hmm. just like Murder, She Wrote, just like Diagnosis, just like Columbo. People knew what to expect. And I think there's a lot of comfort in that. It's a closed-end mystery, so you didn't have to get – you weren't binging. You didn't have to watch an entire season to stay up to s- speed on the show. And you can come in and out of it. Um, but I think for just, it was a gentler time. And I'm very grateful for it. You know what amazes me? I'll go on college campuses and I will walk into the union, the student union, and they'll have TVs on or kids will be watching on their laptops. And you know what? They're watching Matlock. And I've asked a couple of them, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> You're watching an old people show. Um, and they go, we love it. He's like our grandpa. And they just like being able to identify with these characters. And I think the sweetness of it is appealing in a, in a time when we're so edgy, everything's like working so hard to be as edgy and out there as possible. Mm -hmm. You got a show that is really about doing the right thing and uh, characters who really care for each other. I think we should reboot Matlock with you and Linda Pearl. I've been you know talking what? about it on the show. I think that'd be amazing. I've been thinking about it for years, actually. And um, I, I've i actually talked to a couple of our producers from back in the day, the creators, neither of which are interested in doing it but they because they've moved on with other things. But um, I don't know. I, I haven't talked to Linda about it. She and I, you know, we – I never – I had to have – had a scene with her that first season, but honestly, I don't remember it if I did, because we didn't really, our characters didn't really cross paths. But I had the joy of getting to work with her finally after all these years, a year ago. We both did a movie during COVID um, in New Mexico and then here in LA last November and December, and we played best friends. And it was so fun to finally get to know her and and hang out with her. So. I, I may actually t- try to talk to her about that. Because if, if you can get her or Bren Thayer on board, you can still name the show Matlock. I know. And, <laughs> but, right. And then and we can get, maybe we can get Clarence to come back. Um, he's still around. Um, and I don't know who else. I don't know if Julie, I haven't been in touch with Julie Summers, the prosecutor in ages, so I don't know. But it's a good idea, Jason. I think it is. And I, I mean, Keen Holiday is next to impossible to get a hold of. So I, I don't know if you oh, can get is. him, but uh, yeah. It'd be fun. I think we um, should. And and Daniel Roebuck, we could get Daniel because I, oh, I yeah, do know yeah. him quite well. Uh, so Gio Howell wants to know, what was it like working with Andy <clears throat> Griffith and Don Knotts? Oh my gosh, the best days ever. <laughs> <laughs> they were the most incredible days on set when they both worked together. Um, it was party central as far as just the minute they got in each other's presence they started and they had this shortcut vocabulary and they would just start riffing and they'd start cutting up and it was hysterical it was unbelievable they never stopped they adored each other it was evident they remained as you all know dear dear friends until dawn's death and on the days that (laughs) dawn would work we shot at Universal Studios in the big, 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 if any of your listeners uh, have been to the Universal lot and gone on to the studio lot, you know, you have those tram trips and they take you all over the sound stages in the back lot where Andy's house actually was. And so, um, but the big black tower is where all the executives are on the Universal lot. And I mean, we're talking the network executives, the head of, you know, NBC and the head of whatever. And the head of all the shows. Well, when word got out that morning, any morning, that Don Knotts was on the call sheet and he was going to be working, 
the elevator would get jammed because people would be coming down out of the black tower from their executive suites to come onto our soundstage. Scott Bakula worked on Quantum Leap at the stage next to us. He would come over and all these people from all over this the entire studio lot would sneak in and they'd all hide in the flats on the side, you know, in the dark, just to watch these two in action. And that it was, it never disappointed. They were always hysterical and it was an absolute sheer delight. I felt like I was sitting in on history every single time. And Don was the loveliest guy. Some of your listeners may not realize that he was incredibly shy, incredibly shy, very, very formal. You know, he, every time I saw him, he would, he would do a slight little bow and, oh, Nancy, it is so good to see you again. Yes. Quiet, shy. And then as soon as he, the cameras rolled, he'd turn right back into that little bumbling kind of over the top character that he was on Matlock, as well as of course the Griffith show. But it was a joy. Jason, do you have any other questions from some I, of our listeners? I, I have just two more things. Okay. One, uh, Carolyn Collins just wants me to let you know that she loves you. And um, I love you, Carolyn. Thank you so much, sweetie. And uh, Jeremy Glass well, wants to know about the you when you left the show. What was like maybe like some of the reasons you left or um, like what was happening? Was it the move to North Carolina? It was the move. Um, we had... Here's what's crazy. The show had been a workhorse for NBC for years and years and years. And, but we got canceled. The network thought we skewed gray was their term. And they were wanting demographics that were 18 to 24 year olds. And that wasn't us. So we knew the writing was on the wall, like a couple episodes toward, by the end of that sixth season. But then when it was announced that, gee, yeah, we have been canceled, even though we're in the top 20. I mean, so, so sad. But ABC then came up to the plate and they said, okay, well, we'll pick it up. But in order for us to do that, you need to shave off $500,000 per episode from your budget, which prompted the move from California to North Carolina, which Andy was thrilled about. He lives there. And uh, had wanted to move the whole production for years, had been lobbying to try to do that. And um, it fell on deaf ears, but now he had a chance to do that and it, to indeed save a lot of money. And I had just gotten married the year before for the first time. I'm a 35-year-old gal who had just gotten married. And so I thought, you know what? I've loved this. This has been a great ride, but I'm not going to wait till I'm 35 to get married for the first time and then go do a TV show in another state. So um, that's when I left the show. It was hard. It was hard. But um, anyway, they had what, four more, four more successful years after that, or three, three little more. Did they know that uh, little six-year-old to twelve-year-old Jason Taylor in Columbus, Ohio, was watching it. Wow. <laughs> Were you really as kids? I loved the show. One, I like uh, procedural uh, dramas like this. Yeah. I love the lawyer uh -huh. shows, and uh, yeah, one. Um, not trying to be a stereotype, but I watched it with my grandma a lot. But no, that is so sweet. I love that because it, was, it builds memories. You have memories with your grandparents watching these shows together. Yeah, I would be lying if I didn't say I had pretended to be sick a few times because I wanted to catch the um, the replay of the um, second episode or second part of an episode because there was a cliffhanger. I will say, as a kid, I remember the show, <laughs> but I didn't watch it. Uh, to be honest, Nancy, I was more of like uh, I, I discovered it five or six years ago on me on me TV and kind of that, oh. exactly as you said, that nostalgia factor of yes. like, man, this is a simpler time. This is, this is good. This is good. It's yeah. different than everything else I'm watching. And uh, that's how I became a fan. Um, like I I'm said, I'm so thrilled. Yeah. So um, you know what? And you know, every, ahead, every now and then I'll, I'll catch a, a rerun myself every now and then I'll see an, an episode as I'm flipping through, or if I'm traveling in, in a hotel room, and I'll watch it and I will actually be stunned and say, you know what? This was really good. This was good. <laughs> and I think when you're so close to something and just every day you're going to work, you know, you forget that now, however, 30 years later, 20, whatever years later, that it still holds up, which is why we're in syndication still so heavily and why you're, you guys are such 
loyal and gracious fans and why you've got these wonderful fans who are writing in. And I could not be more grateful to all of you. I, uh, I think that if it, this show was on streaming, because so far it hasn't been, it's on Pluto TV. I think if this mm-hmm. show hits streaming, the chances of that spinoff we were talking about, I think would grow. Mm-hmm. I, I think they'd be really surprised with the interest. You're still into this, would. aren't you? <laughs> we we go to cons regularly, and John and I always because this our podcast started because the guys on our other podcast would tease us about watching, like you said earlier, a, a grandparent show. And John and I really mm-hmm. liked it, so what we started doing just to annoy the rest of the podcast, we would ask <laughs> people when we did live shows like who watches Matlock, who's heard of Matlock, and you'd be surprised at the responses we got. Wow, from all ages, all I ages, mean, or just. Oh, wow. I love it. And you know what, Jason, you said it when you said you watched it with your grandparents. And I meet people all the time, that you, either their grandparents or their parents, they watched it together. And that's, it has built, it builds sweet memories. So I think that's part of that nostalgia thing you were talking about, John. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something else real quick, if you will. We don't want okay. to keep you all night here. You have written several books. So what made you decide to, to try your hand at uh, being an author? <laughs> um, my first career was writing, and I had put it aside. I, I journaled all the time, but you know, I wasn't writing professionally anymore. I was After Matlock, I um, guest started a bunch of stuff, but nobody was knocking down my door offering me the next series. Things had really changed in the industry, and I – some of the stuff that was out there that my agent would send me, I'd go, no, I don't, I don't really, I'm not that interested in that. But I got offered a show that I did. Um, it was, I was hosting, which I very reluctantly took a fashion magazine show. It was a lifestyle magazine, fashion trends, beauty magazine show that was on CBS for 10 years. It was the longest running show on CBS that nobody ever saw. I mean, nobody saw this show. It was syndicated. It was on CBS O&O's, meaning owned and operated, and we were syndicated all over. But we ran at like crazy hours. In LA, Chicago, and New York, we ran at 7 o'clock p.m. It was a great time slot. Everywhere else, we were on in the middle of the night. Only insomniacs ever saw this show. But it was a wonderful show, and I loved hosting it. One day, the producer called me first year in, and he said, hey, I know you, you've written before, and you're already, you care about women. You care a lot that they know how special they are and unique they are and beautiful they are. You, you care about their inner beauty, whatever that is. This is a beauty show. He says, I want you to write a column. We've got a new website going up, and I want you to write a column. And now they call that a blog these days. But anyway, it was a column. And he said, I don't know, call it Nancy's Notebook. I said, okay. And he, he said, write whatever you want. I said, really? You really mean it? I can write what I want? He goes, yeah. So I started writing Nancy's Notebook, which was funny and winsome. But I also write, wrote about what real beauty is about, that it's not just the stuff you wear and how you do your hair and all the makeup, but it really emanates from inside. But because it was funny and poignant, I mean, I would quote I would actually quote Bible verses, but I'd paraphrase it and say, a wise man once said, you know, it's more important to, to look at the heart instead of what the outward appearance. Well, a publisher, long answer to your question, John, but a publisher started reading Nancy's notebook and called me up. For six months, he kept saying, you got to write a book. you got to write a book. You, you have a very different voice. You don't write like anybody else. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. There's a million books out there. Why do we need another book? Finally, he said, okay, you care about this. How many women can you talk to at a time when you go speak someplace? I go, very proudly. I said, oh, like 300. And he goes, exactly. That's nothing. I went, what? He said, books multiply your mission, what you care about. So when he finally said that, I realized it's not about me writing a book. It's about me getting this thing I care deeply about out to more people. So that is what started it. And, um, I love writing. I've got to get back at it. I'm in the middle of thinking about my third book now. And so, yeah, I love doing it. I was looking at your books earlier. I think I'm going to pick up a copy of each for Christmas for my mom and girlfriend. Oh, good. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. I'd love to actually send them to them. So we'll email me later and I'll, I'll send them to them 
as my gift. Oh, thank you. you. Thank right? you or very you send much. send it to you and you give it to them. Uh, before John gets us back on track business-wise, I have to ask <laughs> you, because you were on another show that I liked, and that oh. was Saved by the Bell, the college years. That was fun. I was hoping that would turn into a recurring thing, and they actually intimated that it might, but it never did. Uh, sadly, it got canceled yeah. after the first season, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why it didn't, didn't happen. Okay, well, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, you're the bearer of good news. People didn't like the, the the I I don't want to say more serious aspect of it, but the them being older, people just did not. Yeah. I was like the only person in my school that I knew that tuned in every night to watch it because I loved yeah. everything about Safe as well, still do. Yeah, I, I I did too, and I loved the creator of that show. I just, but I do think you're right. I think getting a little older with the skewing of the older characters just didn't happen. I don't know. Well, our my last question, and then we're gonna wrap things up by talking about where folks can get in touch with you and what they can uh, keep an eye on for when oh, you have good. new okay. stuff coming out. But uh, you just made a directorial debut this past year, correct? I did. I'm so excited. It's a feature film. Mm -hmm. that I co-directed called Damaged Goods. And it's a, in collaboration with um, a small liberal arts university um, in Kentucky called Asbury University. They have a very fine film school. I did one of their films several years ago, and they invited me to come back and co-direct with one of their recent graduates that they felt like could need, you know, someone to co-direct with them. So we did it. It's a fabulous movie to tell you the truth. It is, um, we've already gotten international, uh, global distribution, which I'm very excited about. And we're, we've got some film festival awards. So, um, got best picture, best feature film at the Knoxville film festival. And then we're up for, we're finalists for two festivals that will uh, announced in 2022, but we are on the finalist last five movies for best feature film. I'm really proud of it. It's a, it's not easy subject matter, but it's very poignant and very important subject matter. So do you have any other directorial uh, projects in the works? There's something that's pending, but we're waiting for funding and we're waiting for the okay. script to be finalized. Um, it's a period Western piece that would be really fun to do. Um, but I'm producing, which I'm very excited about. Um, I've, I'm part of the production team. I'm associate producer of the new uh, worldwide stage musical of The Four Tops. You guys are way too young to even know about The Four Tops. It's Mo one of Motown's great, great bands from oh, the I day. know who The Four Tops are. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, we're doing a stage musical of the formation of the Four Tops, how they came together as this wonderful band of brothers. And it's utilizing all the great music from the show, from their repertoire, those iconic songs from Motown, including several new songs. So I'm one of the producers on that project. So it's keeping me quite busy. All right. Well, let's kind of wrap things up. Let everybody know, Nancy, where they can keep tabs on you to find out about when uh, your next project's coming out or when the new book is coming out or anything along those lines. Would you like to plug your website, social media and whatnot? Oh, thank you. Um, website, nancystafford.com. And um, I'm like the world's worst social media person, but I am on Facebook. So just Nancy Stafford. And I think I am on Instagram. <laughs> I've got followers, which is so kind because I don't do a thing. Um, <laughs> I've got to start doing something to satisfy these followers. Anyway, I think it's um, at Nancy CA, Nancy Stafford CA. I think that's me. Oh, my goodness. Well, you'll see my face and you'll know it's me. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Well, Nancy, thank you so very much for taking some time out of your schedule to sit down today and chat with Jason and I. And thank you to all the, the fans who sent in uh, questions. Uh, hopefully we answer them all or Nancy answers them all for you. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And thanks to all of your fans, too, for, for joining us. This has been like a big party, and I'm really grateful. So thanks for having me, guys. Thank All you right. so much. And thanks for what you do. And thanks for loving the show. It makes me so happy. Well, there you have it, folks. Our wonderful and delightful conversation with Nancy Stafford. We've used so many awesome adjectives, haven't we, Jason, to describe this edition? Yes, because she really was wonderful. She sent yeah. some signed books to my mom, my girlfriend, and 
They've both received the books and really enjoyed them. Uh, likewise, I got a couple copies too. And I, I really, I got to be honest, I'm not sure who I'm going to share them with. Um, I think maybe my aunt might get uh, a set of them. So I think she would enjoy them. Thank you very much for the books, Nancy. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. And I know we've said that a million times in the last couple of weeks, but we really, truly do mean it. Uh, Jason, maybe we should fill folks in on where they could find us on other podcasting projects, albeit we are taking a little bit of a break since it is um, the holiday season. So tell us about what's on tap real soon for the Three Geeks podcast. The Three Geeks podcast. I first want to say that Matt Talk is the only Matlock podcast officially endorsed by three Matlock associates. So just want to throw that out there. And we've got got some uh, irons in the fire, a little Clarence Gilead that we're working on. If anybody can find Keen Holiday, we would really appreciate it. Or Kenny Holiday, whatever he's going by this day. Just let us know, please. I'd love to talk to the guy. But um, you can find Three Geeks Podcast. We're on a hiatus until January 9th doing live stuff. But we will have some videos dropping. There's a Spider-Man video going to drop soon. How can we not talk about that movie? And uh, we're doing, Max and I are doing an end of the year review where we just discuss the things we enjoyed and media throughout the year and maybe some top fives coming out for Christmas specials and so forth. So stay tuned at Three Geeks Podcast, threegeeks.ninja, and anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, likewise, the PVD cast is on a little break as well, uh, returning uh, in the first week of January. But you could check out any past episodes from this past year by going to pvdcast.com or looking it up in your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for it. I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, you know what? Jason, in a couple of days, we're going to flip the calendar. So I'd like to wish everybody a happy and safe new year. Yeah, I, I concur. And uh, I forgot to mention how awesome Christmas was. Christmas was fantastic. I got uh, everything I ever wanted. And uh, my daughter and I did not sleep in because we're both like four-year-old children. And we were up at 5 a.m. to open the Christmas presents that Santa left us. <laughs> well, you know what? Christmas was pretty good for me as well. Uh, and hopefully everybody had a very awesome uh, holiday season. And uh, we'll be back. Remember, we always drop episodes of Matt Talk the second and fourth Monday of every month. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode and uh, Jason, if there's nothing else, let's get on out of here, shall we? Sounds great. See you guys next time. And as they say in court, nothing further. Production of the Three Geeks Podcast and John Orlando Enterprises LLC. Copyright 2021.